chapter 27. I need to point out at this juncture how it was that this action on my part took a tremendous amount of courage, courage which I could not have been able to muster up had I not prayed long and hard, as hard as what it took to process the events of the internship as much of a bust as that turned out to be, the therapy sessions that had succeeded and that led to the resolution of the theological doubts and the finding out where I stood in my relationship with a new protagonist in my life's journey, Carolyn Knott, K-N-O-T-T. I say it took tremendous courage because although I did not intend to hurt any people, I was aware that by exiting my life from a life which I had had with many together, that I was causing hurt and it pained me deeply. This, of course, included the bishop himself, Father Stephen, the chancellor, who had been my go-between for so many issues. It also included multiple friends, co-workers, fellow priests, all of whom were too numerous for me to count. This latter group didn't find out about my departure till weeks or months after the fact, because I did not exit with horns blaring in a big announcement of departure. Word just got out slowly as it does when a major player leaves the stage without saying goodbye. That I left bothered many. That I left without saying goodbye was unforgivable for some. To be truthful, I could not bear saying goodbye and try to explain how it was that I was not departing because I had been wronged. On the contrary, that was far from why I needed to depart. In my perception about what I was doing equated what a person goes through when all the pieces have come together to form a giant leap forward in, the, in that person's life, especially when that giant of a leap is into maturity of a higher quality. I felt me growing up to be my own father, to be my own parent, to be my own person. It was a responsibility I needed to take. I had been an obedient son for many years to the, that assembly known as my church, my community, my diocese, my umbrella, for many years, and I had done it totally, willingly, and happily. That parent, the church, had been such a responsible parent, so protective, so generous in its gifts for me to be well-educated, so loving in its nurturance, so patient in its caring. In my family of origin, I had grown up along with my siblings without a dad. I was four years old when my mom left my father. I had always had maternal love for my biological mom. That was always there, and it was always solidly genuine. For paternal love, I instinctively turned first to my older brother, Danny, who was five years older than me. Once I started school, I turned to the priest of our parish, our school, the parish of our, our school, the ones that I began to work for since early age. Once I entered seminaries, I turned to my professors, my spiritual directors. In vacation times, I turned to laymen who took interest in hiring me and who encouraged me as a dad would have. All the while, I lived serving these surrogate fathers and serving where they told me to serve and with what kind of service to give and when to perform this or that service, etc., etc. 
I was rewarded by my parent, the church, as I say, with loving protection, generosity and many gifts, nurturance of high quality, and patience with my imperfections. I had every promise that I would be handsomely treated in positions of authority and responsibility. I was considered essential to the life of our community, our diocese. I could not have asked for more. In many ways, I felt like I received more than most. I was grateful. I was humbled. Still, my psyche told me, basically, that all the positives of my present situation notwithstanding, and there were countless ones, I still needed to be my own parent, my own father, and discontinued depending on surrogate fathers, no matter how positive they were all in all. I needed to grow up. I needed to be my own umbrella. I needed this not out of hubris, but out of maturity, out of a sense of duty to my God-given human nature. Had I been in the military and the same pieces had come together inside of me, I would have had to give them up, give up the military life, no matter how many possible promotions it promised. The same with the church, no matter how many bright future, how, how bright my future was for staying in. I needed to exit, to be true to myself, seeking to take responsibility for my own course in life. One of the salient features in making a momentous leap forwards is being prepared to leave behind something of equal or of more value. I needed to start on my own, even if it meant starting from scratch at age 32. By telling the bishop that I was leaving the priesthood, I was fully aware of what I was letting go of. That entailed, number one, not only giving up a beautiful calling, but one which I had proudly and willingly responded to for 18 and a half years. I continued respecting those who were responding to that calling. Number two, I was surrendering not just a job, but a prestigious career in what honestly I regarded as one of the world's great religions. At that time, it was about to complete 2,000 years of age and presence throughout the world. Number three, I was turning down an appointment in a significant position at that in my religion's hierarchy. Number four, I was foregoing a small but beautiful home which provided a very private room and board we used to call three square meals in a sack. Number five, I was letting go of unopened gifts of promise regarding opportunities for more and more influence and say-so in my small pond of the world, the Diocese of El Paso. I was exiting the environment of tremendous love and respect from countless hosts of men and women, both ecclesiastical and lay. Number seven, I was leaving behind a number of intimate families who had taken me in as a family member. Number eight, I was losing my place in a team of co-workers, collaborators, priests and laypersons who were as committed as I had been or more to the work that we were succeeding in. Number nine, I was leaving my beloved homes, hometowns of El Paso and Las Cruces and its nearness or their nearness to countless relatives and people 
who followed my and who followed and supported my career. I was trading in a station in life which was teeming with richness and future promise. I lost my residence at the parish in New Orleans where I had been staying since I began my master's program. What I was visibly taking was my two-year-old car, a small record player, an even smaller TV set, one sport coat, one black suit, one tie from Walgreens, socks and underwear for maybe two weeks, two or three shirts, some t-shirts, a pair of Levi's, 600 bucks in cash, plus a student loan that I was about to make to carry me through my last semester of my master's program. The diocese ceased paying my tuition as soon as I left that December. I fully concurred with that. Like I said, in needing to be my own parent, I needed to pay my own way. What I took, which was exceptionally invisible, was one stupendous leap of faith and the guts to do it glaringly alone, as leaps of faith usually call for. At that time, I didn't know how to define or even describe what a leap of faith is or was. I knew I, I had a sense of urgency to make a radical change, which was at once scary and pressing nevertheless. I just wasn't sure what it was that I needed to make the change into. Many years and three year careers later, I read a free verse by Sapphire, an American writer and performance poet, Ramona Lofton, which tells it like it is for a leap of faith. I want to quote that here to give you a poet's vision of what I experienced in 1967 when I decided to face my bishop and tell him that I needed to leave the priesthood and was requesting a dispensation from my priestly vows. Faith is by Sapphire. When you have come to the end of your known light and are about to step into the darkness, faith is knowing that one of two things will happen. Either you will find something solid to step on or you will be taught how to fly. Close quote. I have been flying the flight that it takes to take one step after another ever since. If anyone were to ask where I got my leap of faith, I would have to say for my mother's example. In my teens, I had found out what it was that happened when my parents went their separate ways and we wound up living with our mother, my home, my mom, my four brothers and my one sister and we wound up living with her in Las Cruces, and our dad stayed behind in Silver City, New Mexico. My mom had five of us children, and she was pregnant with a sixth child. She packed us all into a car, not a truck, a car of one of her brothers, and took us to where she believed we would get a good education in a Catholic grade school of St. Genevieve's Parish in Las Cruces, New Mexico maybe 50, 60 miles from Silver City. She didn't leave due to a poor education in Silver City. She left because she was convinced that her husband, our dad, would not stop unfaithfulness as a husband. She had no formal education beyond the sixth grade. There was no prearranged 
home to rent in Las Cruces, but that was where she told her brother to take us and that she would find one once we got there. She had no guarantee that our dad would send support money, nor often, how often, if he ever consented to. She knew she told all around that God would provide. She took a leap of faith in the purest sense of those words. After some hills and many more valleys, her leap succeeded. When I heard of this, I was not fully grown up, but even then, I knew instinctively that what she did is done by very few, because very few had the guts to execute a leap of those proportions. The leap, was taking, the leap that I was taking was totally and finalistically changing the direction of my life from a clearly marked path with goals already set and resources already allocated to a markedly unstructured future, yet to receive whatever structure I was going to put together piece by piece with resources yet to be identified and found. The other invisible factor which I took with me was a brand new identity. By 1967, I could identify with the profession of social work. Up until now, besides my family of origin, I identified with the Catholic Church and with my role as a priest within that community. My internship at Catholic Counseling Services had begun showing me in a very concrete and thorough way how social work operates and functions in its role as a counselor to individuals, one by one, face to face. I felt extremely integrated into the profession of social work before I even took academic instruction about it. Once I took three entire semesters, one and a half years of formal education, I began to view social work as a cause, a process, a function, a societal function, a discipline all wrapped up in a profession which utilizes specialized knowledge and specialized values in order to implement with impact planned, controlled, and measurable change for a client population alternately composed of the individual, the family, small groups, and or the community and to do so implementing humanistic and humanizing principles, skills, and techniques. I could relate and resonate with all of that. This was, and I was ready to apply formally, acquired knowledge and skills, theory and practice of social work. In one semester or more, I would be hitting the pavement to engage in one of its fields, one of its many fields in social work. Now I had the freedom to adopt that role in life. When I graduated, I would then see what direction to take to start working. 